Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It is 8 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Do you know where your starting quarterback is? Maybe he's in the transfer portal already. Because a lot of them already are. We got the big one today. The guy who probably will be the one setting the market. Riley Leonard from Duke with a great transfer portal announcement on Instagram. Told a whole story about finding a fishing spot on campus that felt like home and uh, Duke had turned a drainage ditch into this fishing pond and you know they, they made something better and they made him better and you had to be there I think but if you read it it's a great story but he's he's out his coach was out Mike Elko went to Texas A&M Riley Leonard out too now I don't think he's following Mike Elko to Texas A&M the two schools that have been reportedly in the mix for Riley Leonard, Auburn, he's a Fairhope, Alabama native, Notre Dame. Remember Notre Dame grabbed Sam Hartman last year. So this is a very interesting one because Riley Leonard, definitely an NFL quarterback in the future. And the thought was maybe after this year, but he's going to have a chance to make quite a bit of money. You know, the, the market for quarterbacks is pretty robust right now. And, you know, we've talked about how it's hard to find good offensive linemen, good defensive linemen in the portal. There's lots of quarterbacks in the portal, and we're going to talk about how many tonight. But there are not a lot of good quarterbacks in the portal. A lot of times it's someone who lost their job, wasn't going to start next year anyway, but Riley Leonard could start for how many programs in the country? There's 133 FBS programs. I would wager that Riley Leonard could start for 125 of them. Maybe more than that. Maybe, maybe 128. If we talk about who's coming back. like We definitely know Drake May is going pro. We know Caleb Williams is going pro. So if we don't talk about the quarterbacks that are, that are not coming back. He is up there. And so that makes him very interesting. And I don't think Nebraska is in the mix for him, but really interesting quote from Matt Rule on Wednesday talking about the transfer portal and throwing out a dollar figure. So let's hear what Matt Rule had to say. Do you feel like you have to address the quarterback situation in the portal by you going into the portal? Um, I think that I think that the, the portal for me is uh, I either want to if we go to the portal I either want to get someone with multi at any position someone with multiple years I think is on caliber with the guys that we have or someone who's uh, instant impact upgrade you know like someone who can make a difference um, make no mistake that a, a good quarterback in the portal costs you know a million to a million five to two million dollars right now so just 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 on the same page right so. Um, let's make sure we all understand what's happening. Those numbers that, that Matt rule is throwing out I, 2 million feels a little high, but I, I spoke to someone at a collective whose, whose school is not in the mix for a quarterback right now. They said 1 million to one five for an effective starting power five quarterback feels about right. That, that, that does seem to be the going rate at the moment. And look, Riley Leonard is one that you saw him. I think everybody watched him against Notre Dame. Absolute warrior. That's the game where he got hurt at the end. He is a fantastic quarterback, can run, can throw. So he's going to make any team better. He's probably the best of the bunch in there right now. Interestingly enough, you know, we, we've seen quarterbacks enter the portal, like Riley Leonard could enter the portal. He's an undergrad. So he has two to play two, as they say. So he redshirted in 2021. He played in 2022 and 2023. He's not. He didn't get to college till 2021, so there's no COVID year here. So he can play in 2024 and 2025. So that's the fact that he's got two years of eligibility also, I think, adds to it. Because a lot of times you have a situation like Sam Hartman last year where he only had one year. So the, having another year helps as well. But we've seen situations where the quarterbacks have entered the portal like Riley Leonard because he can right now because his coach left. Mike Elko left for Texas A&M. That allows him to enter the transfer portal now. 
If you're grad transfer, you can enter it pretty much anytime. If you are an undergrad at a school where your coach is not left or been fired, you can't enter yet, but there are people who've already announced. I'll give you an example. Ethan Kaliak Manis from Minnesota. He announced this week that he's entering the transfer portal. Uh, PJ Fleck not going anywhere, so he can't enter it till Monday, but, but he plans to enter it. Uh, Will Howard at K-State has announced. Now, Will Howard is an interesting one. He is going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Led Kansas State to a, a Big 12 title in 2022, but got into that situation where they were switching him and Avery Johnson, the freshman, back and forth. Avery Johnson, five-star from Kansas. So you knew if if all things were equal, they are probably going to go with the younger guy who's from the state who was the top recruit that this, this coaching staff has signed. So Will Howard will be one that people are really interested in. He's probably one that can command that sort of seven-figure money. Another one, there's two names out there that people are talking about. And we've talked about this within the company. We don't really want to speculate on, on people who haven't said they're entering the portal or haven't actually entered the portal. But I'll name these guys because they're in the discussion. And one of them has actually acknowledged it. Uh, KJ Jefferson at Arkansas got reported to be entering the portal. But then he put on his Instagram story on Wednesday that he hasn't made any decisions yet. So I'm not going to speculate on any possibility of where he might go. But that's one that I, I would assume a lot of people would be interested in. Another one is Cam Ward at Washington State. Obviously, Washington State caught in the conference realignment thresher, and they're going to be in a different situation next year. And Brock Heward, former, former Washington quarterback, who does a radio show in Seattle, he said on his show that Cam Ward, if he wants to leave Washington State, could have up to 10 seven-figure offers from you know 10 different schools. And that would be pretty amazing too. But he has not said anything, has not acknowledged anything. So we're going to speculate on that. Let me, let me just run down this list of names because we talked about Riley Leonard and we talked about Will Howard. Those are guys who started a bunch of games. They've won a bunch of games. Those are the guys that'll be the hottest commodities in the portal. I'll throw another one at you. He didn't. He wasn't an opening day starter this year, but he's been a starter for two different SEC programs. That's Max Johnson. He's already picked a school, so he was allowed to enter. He's a grad grad transfer anyway. But uh, all the Aggies were allowed to enter the portal after Jimbo Fisher got fired. So a lot of them have. He is going to North Carolina. He's already committed. So Max Johnson, LSU starter, Texas A and M starter now headed to North Carolina to be the potential replacement for Drake May. And that's that's how this tilt the world goes. So we, we've got a big show for you tonight. We got your Dear Andy questions answered, lots of playoff scenario questions. We've got Yogi Roth on the Pac-12 championship game, which, by the way, features two transfer quarterbacks. Michael Penix Jr., Indiana to Washington transfer. Bo Nix, Auburn to Oregon transfer. And both of them... Heisman Trophy candidates. The other leading Heisman Trophy candidate, LSU's Jaden Daniels, Arizona State to LSU transfer. So we are entering a new normal where almost everybody starting quarterback is going to be from somewhere else. Uh, we're not we're not quite there yet, but I think I think it's it's going to be the norm where the oddball situation will be somebody signed with the school and wound up being the starting quarterback there. Well, let's let's go through this list. Uh, hold on. Uh, question from Sam. Does this mean top 10 schools need $10 million plus budgets? Yes. Yes, they do. And here's the thing. Because I like to I like to translate this to the NFL. So you can kind of get an idea of what this means. A $10 million player budget, well, you could very easily do it this way. Uh, a $9 million player budget would get you one Mark Stoops at Kentucky. So I'd say an entire roster of really good players probably more valuable than one Mark Stoops or 10 million, 11 million, 12 million would get you basically like a, a franchise tag safety in the NFL. So like a really good safety for one year in the NFL. It's not as much as you think like these quarterback numbers, like what Matt rule said about a million to a million five for a quarterback. 
at a big SEC or Big Ten school, that's essentially like one-fourth to one-sixth what you take in off of one home game in ticket sales, concessions, all that. Not even talking about your TV money. And I realize that this particular money has to come from donations. It can't come from, from the school itself. But just to put it in perspective, if, if you could get a program-changing quarterback that you could rent for this year for the cost of one-sixth of what you would take in from one home game, of course you do it. Of course you do it. Uh, P.L. Hunt, we're talking quarterbacks today. But he's talking about what the Colorado Buffaloes need. They need linemen on both sides of the ball to dominate in 2024. I don't know how to break this to you. They don't have those. They're not going to get that many from the portal. And you already heard Dion crying poverty on the NIL front last week. So I don't think there's a good chance that they're going to get people out of the portal this year that can make a huge difference on the line of scrimmage. They don't need a quarterback. They got Shadur. But if you do need a quarterback... There are a lot of quarterbacks out there. I mentioned Riley Leonard. Max Johnson's already going to North Carolina. Will Howard. I mentioned Nathan Kaliakimanis. Here's another name. So this guy was in the portal last year, but didn't end up leaving his school. Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. He's been a longtime starter. I believe a three-time Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year. He dealt with injuries this season, so did not get to do as much this year as he done in previous seasons, but he is heading into the portal again. Now, remember, he was in the portal last year, did not end up leaving Coastal Carolina. There are a few schools that looked at him. It never worked out between the two parties, and so he went back to Coastal for another year. He is a grad transfer with one year available. Uh, Mitch Griffiths from Wake Forest. He was the opening day starter. Remember, we had him on the show talking about how much he loves the Sopranos. He's in the portal. Noah Kim, the opening day starter for Michigan State, and Kaiten Hauser, the closing day starter for Michigan State. They're in the portal. Tyler Van Dyke, Miami's quarterback. Remember, Tyler Van Dyke lost his job to Emory Williams. Emory Williams breaks his arm at the end of the Florida State game. Tyler Van Dyke came back in and had to finish the season, uh, had to play against Louisville, had to play against uh, Boston College. But he is on the move because, obviously, Emory Williams is expected to be back and be the starter next year. Will Rogers, longtime starter at Mississippi State. Tyler Shook, Oregon transfer to Texas Tech. Never really got to see what he could fully be at Texas Tech because it, it was another case of, of being injured a lot. And, and you say, well, if this guy is injured in one place, well, how's, it, how's he ever going to succeed in another? I, I, will, I will give you an example. Michael Penix Jr. had three season-ending injuries in Indiana and has now put together two healthy seasons at Washington. Jacob Worley in the chat says, someone come to Tennessee. What about Nico, Jacob? I thought it was Nico time. And that would be a case of someone they signed becoming the starter. Uh, Clint Lott Bullfighting asks, what about Malik Murphy? So Malik Murphy is at Texas. Again, I'm not. we're not going to do much speculation on people who have not said what they want to do. You know, if, if somebody reports something, we, we may mention it. But I, I really would like to let the player either confirm it or show up in the portal where we can verify it. So that's the thing. There's a lot of guys who are doing well. And there are also some guys, I think, that may sort of throw their names out there with the hope that the school they're at says, hey, we're going we're gonna to hook you up. Come on back. But it's, it's crazy. I mean... Let, let's throw the, 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 did you know they still had eligibility category? Spencer Petrus is in the transfer portal leaving Iowa. He was still there. It's, it's wild. This is going to be the wildest transfer portal season yet. Coaches complain and say it's free agency. You're damn right. It's free agency. And judging by your comments in the chat here, and what I see whenever we report that somebody's entered the portal, you guys love this stuff. This is just like the NBA free agency and the NFL free agency. And, and a lot of you are thinking, well, this person can help my team potentially, so I want them to come to my team. I, it, is, it is hilarious. Like when 
a New Mexico offensive lineman that none of you have ever heard of enters the portal. And you're like, oh, he was all Mountain West. And, and it's, you see all these different team logos going under the tweet saying, please come here, please come here, please come here. It is spectacular. But there are going to be so many options at quarterback in the transfer portal. The question is how many really good options will there be? There's definitely one more after Wednesday because Riley Leonard is that guy. Speaking of great options, you really want some great options, you need to get Factor Meals. Go to factormeals.com slash Andy50. That's Andy50 to get 50% off your purchase. These are fresh, never frozen meals. They're delivered to you in a refrigerated box. You put them right in the fridge. You can open them within two minutes. They are heated up, ready to go, and they are delicious. 35-plus chef-crafted meals every week, and the menu rotates. Support a healthy lifestyle. can be calorie-smart, vegan, veggie, protein-plus. My wife has celiac disease. We had to do gluten-free options so that if she grabs one, make sure there's no gluten in there. They're very open, upfront, honest about what is in each one. They they have a list of allergens on every single one, so you know what you're dealing with. Uh, I highly recommend the Chipotle rub pork chop with roasted cabbage and red bell pepper fondue. It is spectacular. Uh, the herb crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. Awesome. They do a really good job with the cauliflower. They have the mashed cauliflower in some of the meals, the rice cauliflower in some of the meals. It's very good for you. So go to factormeals.com slash Andy50 and use the code Andy50 to get 50% off your purchase. It is awesome. When they came, the box first came, the my kids cleared them out, cleared me out. They were taking them for lunches. My, mo- my wife would grab them, take them for lunch to work. We were hooked, and now we are regular Factor customers. So please, factormeals.com slash Andy50. All right, let us talk about transfer quarterbacks again, but in a very different way, because these are guys that have now been at their schools for two full seasons. Michael Penix Jr., remember, Indiana to Washington. Bo Nix, Auburn to Oregon. They are about to play in the last Pac-12 championship game in the Pac-12 as we know it, before they and two other schools head to the Big Ten, and some other schools head to the, the Big 12. So, Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network, one of the greats. He helps us break down what should be an epic championship game on Friday. Now by the great Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. Yogi, I know this is very bittersweet. The last game in the Pac-12 as we know it between, I guess, two future Big Ten teams. But finishing this year with this matchup feels, feels right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, I think when you, you know, you've covered this league for, for so long, I've been out here for over 20 years now and these two brands, they're synonymous with the pack, right? Pack eight, pack 10, pack 12, whatever. And the last two years, they've, they just provided just moments that everybody around the country remembers. Like everybody knows the whole shot Michael Penix threw a year ago mm-hmm. in Autzen that eventually would win the game. Everybody knows about the game this year and whether it's the fourth down calls for Oregon or the audible at the goal line from Penix to Adunze to basically win the game or the missed field goal. Like there's just moments. And and I think this is going to continue that. It's become one of the great rivalries, I think, nationally in a short period of time. To your point, it's going to only continue. And it's kind of fitting. You know, the last couple of years in Vegas, uh, you were there. It's off the charts. It's so loud. It's electric. It's been a sellout every single time. And it was Utah. They always brought a crowd. Yeah. And then SC resurgence. This is going to be, I think, another level because of the pure hatred among the two schools, right. as well as what is at stake. We're talking about CFP birth or births. We're talking about at least the conversation around it. We're talking about a Heisman winning quarterback, I think, potentially could come out of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot. Uh, and probably even you could argue your Big Ten pseudo favorite. Moving yeah. into next year, because these two programs aren't slowing down, and there's going to be big changes with the veteran-laden Michigan team. Uh, I don't think Ohio State has looked like either one of these teams this right. season. So there, there's a lot. There's a lot to, to to digest when Friday night comes, and then probably in the aftermath. Well, and, and the the hatred, uh, that's the, the rivalry piece of this is so interesting. Like, you talk to Jeff Schwartz, or you talk to people who played at Washington, 
and they'll tell you like this is the rivalry even though they, there's the civil war in the apple cup it i i explain to people in other parts of the country it's kind of like florida georgia where florida has florida state and georgia has georgia tech and yes they've hated each other for a long time but it's not the same kind of hatred and it feels like it's it's a similar situation with oregon and washington Oh yeah, I mean we're working on a video that'll that'll air in pregame, uh, which will be great because it's got the moments. Right, the, the first game between these two was in the year 1900. Oh my! God. I mean they, they weren't called the Ducks and the Huskies way back when. And then I, the first memory that that I really have that stands out. You know what I'm talking about? It's the Jake Locker. It's the point. Oh right? yeah, when they roll <laughs> yep. the Ducks with Mark Helfrich and and Helfrich and Chris Peterson are like so close of friends, and you could just see it in Coach Peterson's eyes, like oh. We're just, you know, putting it on this program right now. But that was the time where, where Washington, I think, like flexed again. And here yeah. came that team and their CFP birth, et cetera. And then here came Oregon, uh, you know, the next couple of years. It's, it's been beautiful to watch this thing. And, and I think it's really well coached, too, in terms of who Kalen DeBoer is and what he's done yeah. in his career at any level. And then what Dan Lanning's developing into. I mean, not, it's not just the way he's recruiting, but you watch the way that he's motivating his team i mean the job he's done it needs to be noted because colorado got all the play with the transfer portal and then it was arizona state but the third most new players on a roster was oregon this year mm -hmm. so to get them to play together like they have especially in the secondary in the back end to me has just been phenomenal even at wide receiver uh troy franklin should get all the play uh, i think he got absolutely hosed not being a finalist for the blitnikoff award but they've had to add some new faces to some of those key positions in a very athletic Pac-12, and they've thrived. The back half of the season, this team has been rolling opponents. I think since UW, they've won by an average of 23 points. And and then the front seven defensively, they're veteran laden. in the offensive line. Uh, they've replaced everybody who's in the NFL now. They haven't flinched. They run the ball well. Bo Nix is elite. This is going to be uh, two teams that I think can go win everything, not just a team that maybe can get in a four seed. I think if UW wins, they should be considered as a possible one seed. Nobody has had what they've had to do. They're six yeah. and zero against ranked teams. Nobody even plays six ranked teams. Nobody's it's, playing Chattanooga in week eleven, bro. I mean, this is, as you know, uh, this year the most challenging conference in the country. It is really interesting, and I think a lot of it has to do with the Vegas line on this game, with Oregon being almost a double digit favorite. Like it almost people aren't even thinking about the idea of Washington winning. But Washington winning this game at 13-0, the resume is pretty undeniable at that point. Yeah, I mean, right now they've got the highest strength of schedule among everybody who's undefeated. I think Georgia might be up one or two slots, but after this game, it will, it'll right. flip. Right? It'll, be, it'll be UW all day long. I think when you look at their games, too, you know, I can remember being on the USC coaching staff when we were undefeated. It is hard. It's way different than when you lose a game. Like it's much different than Alabama. You lose a game and then mm -hmm. backs against the wall or Oregon lose the game. It, when the chips just continually get stacked on top of you and you get everybody's best, I mean, that, that's exactly what they've had. And they've met the moment. I mean, they've won every one score game, right? When they needed a play, they made a play. A lot of times that's been defensively. We know what Roma Dunze and Michael Penix Jr. and this receiving core can do, but they're only getting stronger now. Jalen McMillan came back last week, five grabs. He's going to be at full strength. Uh, they get um, a Giles Jackson back mm -hmm. for this game because he only played in four. They're preserving his redshirt, but the redshirt rule doesn't apply to postseason, to postseason. play. Wow. Yeah, and this is a postseason game. So th this team in the back end, uh, it, I wouldn't be surprised if Asa Turner played, the quarterback of their secondary. Th this will be an epic game. And I think that point spread is great for both teams. It's great for Oregon because it's showing the respect that they're, they're given. Personally, man, I think they're playing the best football among anybody in the country, including Georgia, including Michigan in the back half of the season. So it's great that they're favored. If they can go win this game, because then they'll go get into the playoff, as they should. If they, yeah. they have earned that, in my opinion. And then on the flip, if UW wins, wow, they just beat a team that they weren't favored to win. They have the resume we just described. And I'm hoping that they can climb and get a seed that puts them in a position to play at the Rose Bowl, because that's exactly what should happen. Now, UW, people probably don't want to hear this comparison, but they do remind me the second half of the season, not the first half, the second half of the season, a lot like TCU last year, mm. where there was a lot of finding a way and winning yeah. in different ways. I know they don't want that comparison because TCU lost the conference championship game, and I don't think you can do that this time and, and, and make it in. So uh, they've got to figure out how to win it. But yeah, it, it feels like Oregon has been so good since that loss that the nobody is even 
pondering the idea of Washington winning this game. Yeah, I know, man. It's 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 wild to think about. Uh, and and I'm not really sure why, because when I go back and I've watched every snap of every team for 20 years in this league, but specifically to this year, you go and you watch who they've had to play, right? Let's look at SC and they got their absolute best shot. SC lost the next two games. Then they play Utah. They, they had a chance to blow that thing open. It would have been 40-28 mid-third quarter, but they fumble it going in on a pick six. Right? They get a safety, I think, the very next snap, and it's a tight game, but they don't allow us point in the second half. Utah went and lost their very next game. Then they go on the road at Oregon State, and we all know everything that's gone on in the Pac-12 and the Pac-2. They get their very best. They win on a back shoulder fade ball to their best player, to Roma Dunze again for Michael Penix Jr., in a pouring rain, absolute uh, you know, complete downpour. But they get their best, and Oregon State loses the next week. And then they get the Apple Cup. We all know what that rivalry is, but also the realities around college football and the Pac-12 and, and Washington State. They get their best. And I just say that of like, not only are they getting everybody's best shot, but we used to call it back in the day the Trojan hangover. Everybody would mm -hmm. lose after they yeah. gave us their best shot. The same thing's happening to UW. So it's, it's just different when you comping those two teams. But but I also think it's, it's fair to say that Oregon has been rolling opponents. You know, yeah. Penix has had Heisman moments because they've had tight games. Bo Nix is lucky if he plays in the fourth quarter because right. he has four or five touchdowns in the first half. And and Bo Nix's completion percentage is just amazing to me. Like he may finish with a 78% completion percentage, which would be the highest in the history of the FBS. And it is not, they do have a lot of high confidence passes built into that offense, but he's he's going for some air yards quite yeah. often and the guys are open i'm so. glad you said that man like we when it, we called their game a couple weeks ago and and had that graphic up on purpose of where is he completing the ball and this is not playing catch that's how i describe a lot of those offenses high percentage throws completions as you reference he's playing quarterback you go back and you talk to will stein their offensive coordinator one of the top coordinators in the country his foundation is based in the west coast so if we got to stand up like in the press box and watch Oregon's offense you would see a lot of triangles and that would make Bill Walsh really happy so like <laughs> imagine a receiver a receiver a receiver and he's got to make that triangle read this is not pure progression I don't care what the defense does just get the ball out to whoever's open and play catch he's playing quarterback and that to me is what makes this so impressive I mean just look at where he's throwing the football down the field, intermediate routes, Tez Johnson over routes, tight ends, corner routes, uh, go balls to Troy Franklin. I mean, yes, they've got some screens built in, some tunnel screens built in. Of course they do. What offense doesn't? But he is he is thriving at the position. And I think because of the way the award, the Heisman Trophy is defined, which is a reminder for our fellow voters, it's excellence with integrity. He's competing with excellence. And he's competing on a stage where excellence will be rewarded with the playoff berth. And I love Jaden Daniels as much as anybody. I mean, he was in the pack. We've had him at Elite 11. He's a baller. But they're not playing in a title game, right? He hasn't done it against the best. You look at the schedule the last month of the season. Uh, I think it was Georgia State in week 11. Like, you just, I believe, have to put some of that into context. Well, they, they did and, have Florida State in week one when, when Tory was not playing a really good opponent. So, But I, I will say this. What, what fascinates me about this particular Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix is – Usually it comes down to geography and you've got the guy from the SEC and the guy from the, the Pac-12, but Jaden Daniels is the West Coast guy yeah, and Bo Nix is the Southern guy. Like, it's very strange. It is. It is so strange. Like, what's interesting about the Heisman, uh, I didn't learn this till probably, I think the Mariota year was maybe the first year mm -hmm. I ever went to the Heisman or Christian McCaffrey, one of those years, whoever was first. Um, but when it's over, they give you this envelope and they show you the breakdown of the yep. regions. I'm so curious, like, where does Michael Penix draw, right? Any Midwest votes? Right. To your point of Bo Nix. He's from, he gets... And he's from Florida. And he's, yeah, he's from yeah. Tampa. You're right. Yeah. So I, I don't know how it'll shake out. I, I just hope that the voters don't vote. You know, like I saw some clips about, you know, Brian Kelly, uh, you know, of course, doing what any head coach would do. And you should politic for your, for your players. But let's let the games play out. I've never understood why the Heisman Trust even sends out the opportunity yeah. to vote prior to the final yeah, vote, game vote it causes the a games. stir yeah you it always have, causes a stir you have two more days after the games to vote you can wait it, it takes i'm a voter it takes five minutes to submit once you've <laughs> decided who, you, who you're going to vote for so it's not a problem
But yeah, I, I will be waiting until Sunday at some point and I'll send that in. But it, it is it is amazing how how the dynamics of that are going. But let's talk about Oregon in general, because you mentioned what they've done out of the transfer portal, the new players. And I think Kyrie Jackson, Jordan Birch, guys like that on the defense. It feels like Dan Lanning built this defense to make sure what happened against Oregon State last year never happened again. And I think you saw it in the, in the Civil War. Like they're not, they weren't going to let them do that to them. And it's obviously not something Washington's going to do. Yeah, I, th I think you're right on that. Um, you know, I think year one, when you take over a program, you're trying to like figure out who the team is, you, what what pieces do you have to fill. I think year two, it's about like what pieces do you need to dramatically add, not just fill spots. So you look at a Johnny Cornelius at right tackle, mm -hmm. the yep. only old lineman that's starting via the portal. You reference Jordan Birch. He wasn't just a body on the defensive line. He was a dominant body. You look at Justin Jacobs, that linebacker from Iowa. This guy who wasn't healthy really in the back end of his career at Iowa, but he's thrived since he started playing around midseason for this defense. And then I think the thing for both of these teams that doesn't get enough love is the players in the trenches have been there for a mm -hmm. long time. Oh, yeah. Right. You look at Popo Amavai, seventh-year player. Yep. And then here's Mateo Uyangale, true freshman. And yep. in between Brandon Dorless fifth, sixth year. You just look at these guys. They, they played a lot of football. Same thing for Washington. Braylon Trice, fifth-year player. Zion Tupelo Fatui, been there for five or six years. Edifuan Yolofashio, linebacker, sixth-year player. Asa Turner, like guys that have just been there. And I think there's something when we look at these teams all competing for a CFP berth, none of them have had to flip the core of their roster in terms of in the trenches. They've all developed that. Yeah. And I think that's something to track as I know the portal – Date mm -hmm. comes up. You'll be all over that here in a, in a handful of days. Uh, everybody wants oh, a bunch of new guys on the defensive front. Doesn't always mean you're going to win and win big. And I think that's a good example on Friday night in the Pac-12. Well, the, those guys are hard to find. I mean, we talk about a, a Johnny Cornelius, but of the 10 starting offensive linemen in this game, he's the only one from the transfer portal. Yeah. The, 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 I'd say the more accurate story when it comes to Oregon is like Josh Connerly, which is Dan Lanning gets there, big recruiting battle with USC they win they develop the guy and here he is as a sophomore kind of showing that he was worth the recruiting hype yeah and even the development around that right he was their extra offensive lineman all of last year mm -hmm. kind of in their jumbo packages just working him into the system and then sliding into a starter I look at the same thing with a lot of players look at the secondary and how they've had to rotate so many bodies but they play a lot of bodies yeah I think Dan Lanning you walk through their facility and I love it's got this thing they call it their DNA traits connection, growth, toughness, and sacrifice. And and he really has leaned in, as has Kalen DeBoer, to the idea of connecting to players. And I think when we look at you know the portal coming up um, and reflecting upon the season or looking towards this weekend's games, the most connected teams are, I think, the ones that are still playing. Right? There was a clip that just went viral, Steve Sarkeesian, talking about mm -hmm. his culture and how connected yep. the team is. Same thing with Dan Lanning. Kalen DeBoer, both of these guys have allowed me really inside their facilities, man. And they work at it. They really work at the relationship yeah. versus just get, getting talent in the building. And and it's like I have Chris Peterson chirping in my ear now. Yogi, <laughs> culture still wins. Culture still has to win. You know, connectivity has to win. Relationship still wins. Not just star rankings, not right. just ability. And I think we've seen that play out mm -hmm. in a bunch of different programs this fall. Well, and so I saw it at Michigan this past weekend. But the, another thing I noticed in that game in Ann Arbor, and I was thinking about this as I was – you know, writing about the game, we were praising Sharon Moore for his aggressiveness on fourth down in the first half. Went for it three times, got it three times. It was no different situationally than Dan Lanning going for it three times and not getting it three times <laughs> in the Oregon-Washington game. If you're Dan Lanning, do you stay as aggressive as you were and say, you know what? If we get one of those, we win. So we just keep doing it. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, other than the one before half, I think you know, he's going right. to take the points. Yeah, you know, what, the I've really, yeah, what I've what I really appreciated about Dan Lanning, I, I'd imagine you'd agree because you've gotten to know him too, is he, he's always said from day one, like he's got to have a growth mindset. I, I referenced their DNA traits. Mm -hmm. And there were multiple times last year, this year, he's like, I'm learning as a head coach still. I haven't been doing this as long as Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and, and I love that about the humility that he continues to showcase because I think it's really reflective of his team. Yeah. You know, they have this phrase up there where they call it like, go to the doctor. So every Monday you got to take your medicine, right? <laughs> where did I, where can I learn? You know, where did I, you know, 
misstep? Where did I call a play where I shouldn't have as an OC or as a defensive coordinator? Or where did I have a misread or a misstep on the offensive front? And I, and I love that because it's really become embedded into the ethos of who they are. But to answer your question, my favorite part of getting to know coaches' personalities is that you can kind of predict when games are tight, yeah. what are they going to go be? Who are they going to go be? What are they going to go do? And Dan Lanning is going to be aggressive. Ryan yeah. Grubb, Kalen DeBoer, they're going to be aggressive. This is not going to be a play field position type of game by any stretch. I imagine from jump, it won't be reckless, but it is going to be aggressive on both sides. Well, and, and it's interesting you talk about learning as a head coach. Kalen DeBoer is so much more experienced as a head coach than Dan Lanning because Kalen DeBoer was a very young head coach at the NAI, le NAI level at Sioux Falls, winning national titles. I, I it's, I find it interesting that Dan Lanning worked with Kirby Smart because I think back to Kirby Smart in that national title game that he lost to Alabama on second and 26. Like, it's his second year as a head coach. You have so much you still don't know. And then the following year, he calls the terrible fake punt in the SEC championship game. It cost him a playoff berth. And then look at him now. Clearly, he's learned from those experiences and become a better coach. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on Dan Lanning and what he can be. Yeah, and I think that's that's really well said. And to the point of like fake punt works and he's a legend, right? Mm -hmm. Fourth downs work and Coach Lanning is a legend, much like what you referenced in Michigan over the weekend. Uh, that, that's just kind of part of it. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, so much of this and that role and that seat is about growth. And and I love that. And, you know, I talked to Pete Carroll about it. He, he's still growing as a head coach. And this is second oldest coach right. in the nfl yep. you know like and, and if you think you've got it nailed you're just wrong and and i love that about dan and i think to the point of oregon he's not going anywhere right he's gonna have every opportunity to to go to every job and this is how it works i can remember back in the day at sc when i was there every opening they would just call hey pete just want to make sure you're not interested are you interested <laughs> is it that's how it works i mean yeah. i've talked to ad's where they're like yeah we always just call to see if saban wants the job might you as well know. never know you yeah. call everybody Th that's where dan lanning and kaylin DeBoer are and i don't see either one of them going anywhere for a while man um it's a high pressure job i think we might be entering an era where coaches don't coach for like 20 years at, at one place like they might need a break after a decade or something like that take yeah. a sabbatical per se but these two love where they are and that's why I think this rivalry is so great. Uh, you know, it, it pains me to see them, you know, go to the Big Ten. But uh, it also brings me great joy to know they're always going to play each other. Because well, this is I'll, a game that's good for the game. I also think because they're going to the Big Ten, you, you don't have to worry about Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer. I mean, maybe if like an NFL team decided they wanted Kalen DeBoer, that's a different thing to think about. But, yeah, I, I came up with the two-question test when it came to Lanning. And it's, you know, are you, are you at an SEC or Big Ten job now? which it'll be a Big Ten job next year. And then can you consistently finish in the top three of that league? Not every year, but but a lot of years. Absolutely, Oregon can do that. So why would you ever leave? Yeah, I'm with you, man. And they've got all the like the resources to do well. He said that from day one. We all know the inequities in college football and, and what they are. Well, Oregon doesn't have any. You know, they got a rabid fan base. They've got a great culture. They've got a rich history of winning, especially recently. Uh, Kids all over the country want to go play there. Just look at their roster. You see players from the East Coast, from Midwest, from, of course, the West Coast. And and I don't think it's it's going anywhere. And it's become a launching pad for assistance. Mm -hmm. uh, we look at the interest in Will Stein from yep. the place. Kenny Dillingham, already yeah. a head coach. Yep. Yeah. So so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a blast. Same thing with Washington. I really think they're set up to be powers. Uh I think they would have been that way in the pack as well, right? Uh, yep. but regardless. I don't think they walk into the Big Ten. I think five years ago, maybe you would have said, oh, wow, like they're maybe not a tier one school in the Big Ten because the pack had been down. We look at them now, and I think all of us that follow college football knew that once the portal and NIL opened and that became reality, that the West Coast schools were going to have a dramatic resurgence. And that's exactly what's happened, especially at those two. So I don't see them slowing down. I love they still recruit high school versus just – you know going to the portal for everything i think that's the way to win and win big and you're right these are two teams that will play every year for a chance to go to the playoff and, and maybe even both to your point yeah. go to the playoff well ha have fun i wish i could be there with you on friday i was at the the usc utah pac-12 championship last year and, and the vegas is such a great venue for that that kind of game so have fun and uh, enjoy this one because I, I imagine this is gonna be another classic 
Yeah, man. I I'm, I can't wait. You know how it is. The last like, five minutes of the game, like the reporters go downstairs to get mm-hmm. to the field. I will be down there as early and as often as humanly possible because I just want to feel what it is like on the floor of Allegiant Stadium. It should be an epic one with a ton at stake. And always appreciate you, man. You're one of the best in the world doing what you do and, and appreciate all the support and love. My pleasure, Yogi. Thank you so much. Got it, man. Our friend Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Network. Big game. Uh, Anthony had a couple questions. He was asking Yogi. We, we talked to Yogi a little bit earlier today, so Yogi couldn't answer these. But I can actually answer both of these, I think. Uh, so we'll start with Anthony's first question in the chat. Is it true that Connor Wegman might transfer out of Texas A&M with Jimbo getting fired? Which scheme in terms of current OC that's coaching at a major school fits his traits the best? Uh, talk to somebody out College Station way earlier today. I don't think Connor Wegman's going anywhere. It, it seems like they're they're happy to roll with Connor Wegman. They 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 liked what they saw from him last year. Uh, you know, remember Mike Elko knows a lot of these guys. He was he was involved in recruiting that class of 2022. So it's not a case where he's coming in completely blind with all this stuff. He he's met these people. He's met a lot of their families. And look, I think if you look at Connor Wigman at the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023 before he got hurt. They look, he looked very promising. I'm not sure you're going to find something better in the portal than what you've already got. And the other question that Anthony had, what quarterbacks that are currently in the portal or rumored to go in the portal do you feel might fit the scheme that Shannon Dawson is running at Miami? Miami's got their quarterback. It's Emory Williams. That's why, that's why Tyler Van Dyke's in the portal. Emory Williams is, you know, he took over the job. They've really loved him since they, they signed him last year. And they feel like he's their quarterback of the future. He got hurt at the end of this year, but he's supposed to be back. So uh, I, I think it, that's probably the plan right now for him to be the starting quarterback next year at Miami. Uh, but I'm glad you guys have these questions and feel free to drop your questions in the chat. Drew Ferguson, do you think Nebraska will be looking for a new quarterback in the portal or will rule stay with this guy? And by this guy, I think you mean Chubba Purdy, who they got out of the port. Uh, well, they got Jeff Sims out of, out of the portal from Georgia Tech and Chubba Purdy out of the portal from, from Florida State. I we, talk, we we played the Matt Rule clip earlier in the show. After that, after that question, he talked a little more about what he's looking for. It sounds like they don't want to rent a QB for a year unless it's somebody that is absolutely program changing. Not sure that person is in the portal or at least in the portal in a way that Nebraska can get him. Cause I think Riley Leonard might be that kind of guy, but I don't know that Nebraska would be in the mix for him. So the question is, can they find somebody that they'd really like? Or, you know, I, I thought they did some good things at the end of the season with Chubba Purdy. It's a matter of, does Marcus Satterfield, their, their offensive coordinator feel like they can develop him some more, uh, maybe develop Heinrich Harburg some more. Who's a guy that they, they signed out or Nebraska signed out of high school rule and company weren't there yet, but they probably don't unless they find someone they think can just jump right in and start it. If it's, if it's somebody they think is going to compete with those guys, I don't think they're bothering with that. I think they're looking for somebody who can jump in and start. All right. It is a dear Andy show. It's a Wednesday. You guys are sending in your questions in the chat. I've got questions that were emailed in or sent on social media earlier today, we got lots to talk about. So uh, we'll, we'll start with Matt in the chat. What's the most insane hell freezes over a turn this week? CM Punk to WWE or Bobby Petrino to Arkansas? Also, was Petrino forced on Pittman by a big booster, as Scuttlebutt has said? I don't know that that Petrino was forced on Pittman so much, as, but but I do. I don't necessarily like it if I'm Sam Pittman that the person who came in as my OC could be the interim coach if they decide to fire me. And obviously, you know, look, they, they're that that's going to happen. If they're not winning, they're going to fire Sam Pittman. We know that. I think they made that very clear to him when they decided to bring him back. But this does strike me as a way to try to get Bobby Petrino back in there as the head coach at Arkansas, if that works out that way. I'm not sure you could have hired him as the head coach. But they seem to be okay hiring him as the offensive coordinator, even though they did fire him for cause 11 years ago. It's it's such a strange situation. I've seen the picture of him in the neck brace so many times on Wednesday. And look, I mean, other schools have hired him since. 
I guess Arkansas could hire him back if he wanted, but it is really strange to see him going back there. But let's not forget, Louisville rehired him too after all that. Uh, and remember, it was after the Arkansas stuff and after he had done the secret meeting with Auburn while he was the head coach at Louisville. So we'll see. All right, let, let's go to this question from Fried Turds on Twitter. He said, if you don't want to say fried turds on the air, just say Rusty from Birmingham. I have no problem saying fried turds on the air. Fried turds, fried turds, fried turds. Uh, this is based on what I said on last night's show. A spinoff of the Bama wins the SEC championship question. If Bama wins and is left out due to the head-to-head -head loss to Texas in September, does the lost revenue from missing out on the playoff championship warrant paying buyouts to cancel other big out-of-conference games in order to keep a perfect record? But a couple things here. One. Alabama doesn't miss out on any revenue by not making the playoff. The, the revenue goes to the conference and they split, them, split it up among the conference members. So Alabama's going to get the same money from the SEC regardless. Now, well, the SEC would get less money if they don't get two in, but that wouldn't be the factor. That wouldn't be what, what keeps them from doing anything. Um, they don't have to pay any buyouts to cancel a, a game like the Texas game because those are home and home games. There's not a, it's not a buyout situation. You, you go to them and they get paid and they come to you and you get paid by, by the people buying tickets and everything. So that's not an issue either. And the reason this particular question isn't an issue is the system's changing next year. Now, if this was still going to be a 14 playoff for the foreseeable future, I do think it would have a chilling effect on schools scheduling hard out of conference games, but not as much of a chilling effect as if Texas gets left out. Cause that's, that's, I'm going to flip this question on its ear because Rusty's talking about if Alabama were to win the SEC championship, which forces the, the committee to decide, do we put Alabama and Georgia in? Do we put just Alabama in, just Georgia in? All of that. That's not really the, the, the question that I'm as worried about because I would imagine there's probably a better than 50% chance that Georgia wins that game. But there's plenty of scenarios where Georgia wins the SEC, Michigan wins the Big Ten, Washington wins the Pac-12 and is undefeated, and then you got if Florida State were to go 13 and 0, Texas might get left out in that scenario. There's another scenario where let's say Oregon wins the Pac-12, all that other stuff still happens, and Texas still gets left out. Now, if I were Texas, I'd go, why the hell did we play Alabama? Why didn't we play? a worse non-conference schedule like Oregon did. Because you'd be rewarding Oregon for playing a weaker schedule and punishing Texas. And oh, by the way, Texas's loss is to Oklahoma. It's not like they lost to a terrible team. So that's the situation. Like I'd be madder if I were Texas in that scenario than if I were Alabama, the team that lost that game. Texas was the team that won that game. And I, I'd say there's a, a bigger chance that they get left out if Georgia wins and all those other teams win, then, then they get in, which is crazy. But it is a decision that's going to have to be made because one of like in this scenario. So th like, this is a scenario. I'm going to, I'm going to say Oregon wins the PAC 12 because that makes it a little more, a little less cut and dry. So in that scenario, let's say Georgia wins the sec, Michigan wins the big 10. So that's one, two, Oregon wins the Pac-12, Florida State wins the ACC, Texas wins the Big 12. Now, we've seen what the committee thinks on this. Now, they, they can reevaluate, but they already have Oregon two spots ahead of Texas. So why would we think they're going to just jump Texas over Oregon? If Oregon beats Washington, which would be Oregon's best win by far, would drastically improve Oregon's resume. So if I'm Texas, I'm really mad in that situation if I get left out. I think the, the committee's sitting there, hope, well, well, we'll we'll get to that. From PJ in Wayne, Pennsylvania. On your pod, it said, you said it's better than 50-50 that both Alabama and Georgia make it if Alabama wins. Let's say the tide beat UGA and are in. So are 13-0 Michigan and Washington. You really think UGA is in over 12-1 and conference champ Texas Strength of schedule, Texas 2, UGA 56, record gets Sagarin top 30, UT 6-1. and one. 
Alabama, or excuse me, Georgia three and one. Now Georgia's strength of schedule would go up because they're playing Alabama, but it wouldn't go up as high as Texas's. So yeah, do I think that? Yes, because I think the committee would look at it and go, we think Georgia can beat every team. And it's not most deserving, it's best for. And that's the problem. Georgia losing that championship game, none of the other teams want to get compared to, to a 12 and one Georgia. They don't. They would rather than be 13 and one and then they're or 13 and 0, and then they're just in. Because the 12 and one Georgia getting compared to the 12 and one Texas, the 12 and one Oregon, the 13 and 0 Florida State. I don't, I don't think 13 and 0 Washington. I don't think there's a comparison there because I think 13 0 Washington is in. But those other ones, you get a comparison to 12 and 1 Georgia. And look, if you give most of the committee members truth serum, they're going to say, we think Georgia would beat everybody. That's all there is to it. This question comes from Jackson. Dear Andy, do you think that next year, where Ohio, where Ohio State is at the rankings and conference standings right now, would be pretty advantageous? They basically be getting a first round by without having to be top four, so they're not in the conference championship game. And it's not like teams in their conference championship game could rest players since they need to win to clinch a bye. Of course, it should happen less without divisions, but I'm sure it will still come up. Should conferences just have a three versus four game as well? Would be a potentially pretty fun way to address that issue. Another data point for resumes as well as fun matchup for fans. I like the idea. I don't know that they'd go for the extra game, but I can see, like in the SEC and the Big Ten, if you had a, a three versus four game, I think I think people would consider that a lot of fun. I think they'd like that. And it would help you figure out the pecking order in terms of who makes the playoff. Like who are the definite the definite top three teams? The where Ohio State is in the standings right now, absolutely going into a 12-team playoff would be a great spot to be in. If you are number number six and you're not worried about playing in a conference championship game, you're gonna get a home game. Like because there'll there'll be movement around you, but you're probably not gonna move down three spots. So you're gonna get a home game. Now, 11 is the team you'd be playing in the home game. They can 11 might be able to beat six a lot of years. This year, I think that would be. It's not Missouri, probably like Missouri, Penn State. So Ohio State's already played Penn State, but that's that's the thing. It's a team that can probably beat you. The buy is probably better. But the other thing, and and Jackson brought this up, is that Ohio State would be in the Big Ten championship game. I'm sorry, so it would be Ohio State would get Ole Miss in Columbus if it were the ones we're using right now, the, the rankings right now. So, but Ohio state in this scenario, using what they're going to do next year would be in the big 10 championship game because they'd be the second best big 10 team. So I think that would be the, the, the issue. I don't know that you'd be sitting at six and not in the championship game. Like it, you'd have to have two really good teams ahead of you. Now it's possible because in this scenario right now, you have Michigan, a current Big Ten team, and Washington and Oregon, two future Big Ten teams, above number six. So maybe it's possible, but I think more than likely that team is is going to be in the conference championship game and will want very badly to win it so that they can get the bye. Our next question on video from our friend Alex. Hey, Andy, big fan of the show. My question today is, have you ever historically seen a 10-win top 20 team get as disrespected and rightfully so as the Iowa Hawkeyes? We've seen Texas A&M pay 70 plus million dollars to get rid of Jimbo Fisher because he couldn't get 10 wins or get to a conference title game. And yet here Kirk Ferentz is in the Big Ten Championship game on Saturday. You know, if, if this was a year later, they would be playing for a 12-team spot, right? And their over-under for the first half is 0.5, right? Like, they are being disrespected on a whole new level that I can't ever remember seeing watching college football. But I wanted to see if you had ever seen a team that was as disrespected and had earned that disrespect like Iowa has. They've been the definition of dysfunction and yet here they are 
with a chance, although tiny, for a conference title. I don't think I've seen one like this. Uh, like with Iowa, you can go back to the 2015 team that went 12-0 and and then lost in an epic Big Ten championship game to Michigan State. But that Iowa team had a functional offense. That's a C.J. Beathard quarterbacked offense. Like they were, they were fine on offense. The reason I think that this team gets ridiculed the way it is, I think it starts with the Brian Ferentz drive for 325 contract, which uh, – my friend Scott Dockerman, who covers Iowa for the Athletic, pointed out before the season that it basically turned Iowa into a joke. It turned it into a running tote board of can you average 25 points a game, which we realized very quickly they were not going to be able to. And then ultimately Brian Ferentz gets fired by Beth Getz, the interim AD. But that part of it, on top of them being hilariously bad on offense last year, that made them funnier. I think beyond the funny part of it, there's an there's a part that makes you angry and not, not just like, I know Iowa fans get angry about this, but even as a, as someone who has no rooting interest whatsoever in these Iowa games, it makes me mad for the defensive players that they have to deal with that on offense. Like, because the offense is so pathetic and the defense is so elite. It's completely unfair to the defense. It's unfair to players like Tory Taylor, the punter who's one of the best in the country at what he does. They are doing everything they can, and they have to watch absolute garbage on the other side of the ball. And the fact that it is left this way by the head coach because of nepotism, because he has his son in the job and he doesn't want to fire his son, is his son coaching the wrong position. Like, Brian Ferentz is a great offensive line coach, so naturally Kirk has him coaching quarterbacks. Like, none of it makes any sense. And it didn't make any sense before. And, it, and they demonstrated that this was a terrible arrangement. And yet nothing changed. And so Phil Parker and his defense continue to be amazing. LeVar Woods and his special teams continue to be amazing. And that's the part that makes this team different than other teams that are good but have some sort of bad aspect to them. Like, if Iowa's offense was this bad but their defense was just average and their special teams were just average, they would just be a 5-7 and seven team and no one would care. But the fact that the defense is so good and they are so incapable of running even a rudimentary effective offense, that's the part that pisses people off. That's the part that makes people laugh. It's a little bit of both. And... So I know I've never seen anything like this because I don't know that we've ever seen anything like this. There've been there've been good teams or teams that had like there was a Boston College team that had a great defense statistically and the offense was bad, but they lost so many games that we we weren't even paying attention. We're paying attention to Iowa because they keep winning and they keep winning in this particular way and now they're going to play Michigan in the Big 10 Championship game. It's it's truly amazing. I, I I don't understand it. I I mean I understand. I understand the concept of nepotism. But I, I don't understand why Kirk Ferentz didn't have enough pride after last season to say this clearly doesn't work. I'm embarrassing my own son by allowing him to be in this job. We've got to do something different. And that's that's what I'm curious about going forward. Will Kirk allow whoever he hires to run a creative offense? Because let's be real. We, we, Brian Ferentz gets all the ridicule, but a lot of the blame goes to Kirk, who decides how the team is going to play stylistically. So that's why everybody feels this way. Now, the Big Ten eliminating division is going to fix this because Iowa's going to play a very hard schedule in 2024. And if you put this on the field, there is no chance that they'll play in the Big Ten Championship game. No chance whatsoever. If there were still divisions, then maybe. But now you got to play Ohio State, Washington, Wisconsin, UCLA, and then and then the usual like some of the the usual rivalry games, Minnesota, Nebraska they're not going to be able to put this kind of record together unless they have an effective offense. They have to be better on offense. Now, Beth Getz took away Brian's keys on, uh, took away Kirk's keys on this one. 
he's going to have to pick another offensive coordinator, but he's going to have to let that person do their job. All right, one more question. I want to go to Andy in Ohio's question. Which schools will find themselves on the ever-popular game show You Just Got Fleeced by Jimmy Sexton? I really just wanted to say that. But the rules for the game show are simple. Team overachieves or has a great year, feels the urgency to extend their head coach due to positive energy and good vibes or by threat of coaching searches elsewhere. Team then negotiates against itself. Then in two to three years, we lament the insanity of the school owing a massive buyout to said coach. Great question. Now, uh, Andy gives me some, some options here. Not all represented by Jimmy Sexton. In fact, I don't know that any of these guys are. So Andy's potential options here are Missouri, Arizona, West Virginia, Washington. Well, I'll go to all three of these, or all four of these. Missouri, with Eli Drinkwitz, he may get an extension this year. But what's weird about it is he got an extension last year. And it was one of the most confounding extensions you've ever seen because they were not coming off a particularly good season. Nobody was trying to hire him. And they gave him an extension anyway. So I don't think Missouri should give him a raise or an extension this year because they they already rewarded him for this season last year. He just hadn't had it yet. Now, there's a chance Missouri could be even better next year. If they are, then oh yeah, go ahead, reward the guy. But you've already rewarded him once where nobody else was trying to hire him. The jobs that are that we consider better than Missouri at the moment, not open. A&M's filled. Michigan State, I don't know if that would be considered better than Missouri anyway, but that's filled. So you don't need to extend him again because you just did. So we'll go to Arizona. Arizona's a different one. I Jed Fish, his teams have gotten better and better and better in the three years he'd been the head coach there. Seems like he's finally found his quarterback, Elias Gray. Who the hell is Drink's agent? That would be the great Clint Dowdle. We'll give Clint his props. Clint was Clint was working with Jimmy Sexton at CAA. Clint has just left for William Morris Endeavor, and he is running the coaching division there. So we will give uh we'll give Mr. Clint his props on that one. But back to Arizona, Jed Fish, the trajectory is pretty clear. They've gotten better every year. It seems like he's found his QB in Nova Fafita. If they can keep that team from getting plucked by other other teams in the transfer portal, I think there's a really good chance that they could come into the Big 12 and make noise in their first season in the Big 12. And that would make this extension that Jed got pretty worth it. But I think if he has another good year, if, it, if they are as good or better next year, Jed Fish is going to have some other options too. And so they're probably going to have to pay him again if they want to keep him or – it might be that the, the options are so good that he goes somewhere else. I'll, I'll give you an example. Nothing's happening to Billy Napier at Florida this year. He's, you know, he has a huge buyout. They don't want to be firing coaches every year. But if they go five and seven or six and six next year, they'll probably make a change. Where'd Jed Fish go to school? University of Florida. Just saying. If, if he's coming off another good year, he would probably be a candidate. So Arizona just had to pay more. They're, they were gonna. Ha they'll have to pay up again next year if it's good. West Virginia. Neil Brown entered the season on everybody's hot seat, coached his way off of it with an eight-win season, and they'll have to figure out what they want to do here. You know, I don't think you break the bank to extend Neil Brown. You just kind of keep things going. You say, "Hey, Neil, we'd like another season like that. You you good? For you good with that? Can you can you do that again? Because if you can, then we might be able to talk about really bringing more change into this." But Neil's got time on his contract left, so he does. It, they don't have to do anything urgently. But he did a really good job this year. If he does that next year, then then maybe there is an extension. But I, I'm with you, Andy. That's not one you want to go and just hand a bunch of money over to because you want to know was this the start of something that can be done consistently, or was this a, a one year anomaly? So we'll find out. The Washington thing, I think Kalen DeBoer would be a hot commodity if some particularly big jobs open up. Now, like we've talked about Jim Harbaugh, if he went to the NFL or if some NCAA issue or suspension makes it where he can't really be employed by Michigan. But I really do think they go to Sharon Moore in that case. 
Kalen DeBoer would be one. If you had to go outside, Kalen DeBoer would certainly be one you'd think about. The other thing with Kalen DeBoer, and I, I mentioned this earlier in the show, watch out for some of the NFL teams. Like if the Chargers fire Brandon Staley, the idea of Kalen DeBoer working with, with Justin Herbert and those receivers, it, it, it seems pretty enticing, I think. So that he's one, like coach's coach, everybody, loves, your, your favorite coach's favorite coach, that sort of guy. Watch out for, for him potentially getting an NFL interest. And if that happens, I don't know if there's anything you can do if you're Washington, if he decides that's a challenge he wants to, to try to take on. But if you're Washington and it's not a Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama level school, I think you have a really good chance of keeping Kalen DeBoer. I think you have a chance to, to lock him down and just say, it's the same thing Oregon can say to Dan Lanning is, hey, you're in the Big Ten. You have the, the resources and the opportunity to be one of the best three to four programs in the Big Ten every single year. So stay right here and make all your dreams come true. So I think there's a really good chance that they keep him. I would imagine they're probably going to sweeten the deal a little bit just because he's been so good this year. But that's one, as long as the NFL doesn't come knocking and one of these massive jumbo jobs doesn't open up, I think they're pretty safe. So I, I'm with Andy. Don't, don't freak out and say, we're going we're gonna to sign you to a 10-year extension for, for $9 million a year. Don't Jimbo yourselves, guys. You don't have to do it. Just because they had one good year does not mean you go crazy. But we'll see. Uh, Matt in the chat asked, now that Kirby woke Georgia, is Arizona State the biggest sleeping giant in college football right now? If they get their version of a Spurrier or Kirby, they could be a monster. No, they can't because they're in the Big 12. The only ones that's possible for are in the SEC of the Big Ten. The answer, of course, is Texas A&M. Whoever unlocks Texas A&M will create an absolute monster. The problem is we just haven't seen it happen yet. So perhaps it's Mike Elko. But again, that's one, because we haven't seen it anywhere at any time, we will believe it when we do see it. But that's the one that has all the tools, everything, all the, all the toys you want, and just hasn't been able to put it together. Guys, great questions this, this week. Unbelievable. This transfer portal stuff is getting hot. I'm going to give you just a, a taste. So next Monday, J.D. Piquel and I will be in studio. Josh Newberg will also be there helping us out. We are going to break the whole transfer portal down when it opens for everybody. Now, there will be other names that go in. You'll see people announcing because who haven't actually gone in yet. They're, they're just going to announce and say, I'm going in when it opens. But you'll also see players from teams that have fired coaches or had coaches leave, they'll hop in. You'll see graduate transfers hop in. It's going to be a very hectic month in college football. Stay tuned right here at On3. So we, we give it to you all these different ways. You can listen in podcast form. You can watch on YouTube on the On3 Sports channel. Follow along On3 on the app or on the website. However you want it, we're going to give it to you because there is going to be so much news, so much to digest, so much to figure out. It's going to be a wild next month in college football. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you tomorrow.